the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 3. Two weeks in a row. It's uh, usually random, but if it's Tuesday, just for these past uh, fortnights, uh, we'll get them on Tuesday. (laughs) We had some tech difficulties yesterday. Brandon Weikert is the author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, Uh, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy, and Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. You can follow him on Twitter at WeTheBranton. He spells his last name W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T. And he is a senior editor at 1945.com. Brandon, with all that said, happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> uh, you had tech issues. We had tech issues. I think we got it all together. We're all good now. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> uh, we'll see. We will do domestic uh, politics. You write a okay. lot on domestic politics at 1945. Nowadays I do. Yeah, right. no, it's good. I, I'm happy to see it. <laughs> Uh, and we'll include uh, a discussion about uh, the Georgia indictments when we get there. But let's start with uh, let's start with topics you uh, have published books on. Let's take your book, um, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. Your book, Shadow: The Shadow War. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we learned uh, in the shadow uh, of darkness last week that uh, the United States, the Biden administration, freed up six billion dollars plus for Iran in exchange for five American hostages. There must be some kind of inflationary record. When Barack <laughs> Obama was president, it was uh, $400 million for four hostages. Yeah. Uh, so add two digits and a few more zeros. And, uh, well, you... Bidenomics at its finest. Yeah, I was told there would be no math. You tell us what's going on here, brother. Um, well, this is par for the course with uh, Joe Biden. He is... Uh, intent on treating Iran as though it is the regime there, as though it is a legitimate government in the region as part of the family of nations. And uh, he will do whatever it takes to normalize uh, relations with Iran. And this is part of that, uh, you know, normalization process. And you can you can guarantee that if he wins re-election, which I think he's going to at this rate, but if he does, uh, you know, this is going to be a prelude to a larger deal with Iran that basically sees us handing the region over uh, to uh, the mad mullahs of Iran and hoping, fingers crossed, that they don't do something crazy like starting nuclear World War III, which I can assure you they will do if given the chance. Well, let's uh, let's suspend thinking that uh, Biden was going to be reelected president. I want to have a whole conversation with you about that at the bottom of this hour. We'll resume that. Let me stay with Iran for a second. I want people to understand the enormity of what this regime stands for. And um, I thought I would go to uh, the most liberal source I know when it comes to foreign policy analysis, and that's Amnesty International. You know all this. I want my audience to hear it. On the front page of their Iran country report, they write, Iran was rocked by an unprecedented popular uprising against the Islamic Republic system. Security forces unlawfully fired live ammunition and metal pellets, killing hundreds of men, women, and children, injuring thousands. Thousands of people were arbitrarily detained. 
women, LGBTI people, and ethnic and religious minorities suffered intensified discrimination and violence, enforced disappearances, torture, and other ill treatment, including through the deliberate denial of medical care, were widespread and systematic. Cruel and inhuman punishments, including flogging, amputation, and blinding, were imposed and carried out. That's just the first four sentences from Amnesty International on a country we just paid $6 billion to, Brandon. Yeah, and well, and that we've been trying to let get nuclear weapons yep. since Barack Obama first hatched his deal in 2015 with Iran. Also, as I note in my book, The Shadow War, I go into the sordid history of just what really happened during the Iranian Revolution in 1979. Jimmy Carter was not some passive bystander caught unaware uh, by Khomeini's return to Iran and his overthrow of the Shah. In fact, as I document and I found, there were many love letters, as I call them in the book, between Jimmy Carter and Khomeini when the Grand Ayatollah was in exile in Paris. And he was, uh, basically, the Khomeini was courting Carter, saying, look, uh, the Shah's weak. If you support me coming back, I'll be the more popular leader. I'm Islamic. Everybody over there is Islamic, and they want me. And then I can make Iran an ally of America against the Soviets. And not only did Jimmy Carter... But also, sadly, the great Margaret Thatcher from 1979 to 1982, she fell victim to Khomeini's, uh, you know, know, enchant, you know, enchantment. And so going back many decades, Democrats in the United States have striven to treat Iran's mad regime, which Amnesty International, as you rightly point, has described as basically being the closest thing to a Hitlerian style regime since Hitler, mm-hmm. uh, we, you know, the Democrats want to do business with the Iranians. They want to normalize relations. They think it's great. They think that it's completely fine to do business with the Iranians, while at the same time, the Democrats have a track record, including Biden, of throwing actual allies like Israel or even Saudi Arabia under the bus. It's just insane. You know, he had an amen corner in the foreign policy establishment, too. I'll never get over that Richard Falk from Princeton article op-ed in the New York Times in February of 79, saying that, uh, well, the title of it was called was Trusting Khomeini, or Khomeini, and that uh, worries about his theocratic fascism were overblown. There were a lot of reasons to trust him and his outreach and his moderacy. Um, There's been a whitewashing and... I don't know if it's a whitewashing deliberately, Brandon, or it's a misunderstanding of theological ideology. I can't tell which. Is it a little of both? both. It's a little bit of both. And you have to remember also during the so-called Arab Spring, which ended up being, you know, Islamist winter, um, we had the Obama administration, President Obama did the same thing in Egypt, one of our most important strategic allies in the region. uh, He basically tried to do to Egypt what Carter did to the Shah in Iran. In 79. And, uh, you know, Obama tried to align America with the so-called pro-democracy groups in the street, which ended up just being the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, which is sort of the mothership group for al-Qaeda and ISIS and all these other, um, you know, organizations that we're at war with. Uh, Obama aligned us in in 2011 with with, uh, the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt, and he ended up helping to overthrow Mubarak, who was not a good guy any more than the Shah was, but Mubarak was our guy, yeah. and he was doing what we needed them to do. And then he, we put in Mohammed Morsi, just as we put in uh, the Ayatollah Khomeini. Uh, we put in Mohammed Morsi, and uh, he, Mohammed Morsi ended up basically shifting 
toward our enemies. In I fact, think the first he, thing he did was align his country with Iran, if I'm not mistaken. He did as well. Uh, he told the Americans that if you try anything with us, I will shut down the Suez Canal right. and make sure U.S. Navy forces can't use it to right. get to Asia if China ever attacked Taiwan. And that was actually what precipitated his overthrow when the uh, American-backed military in Egypt finally got rid of him. But the point is, is that Obama, they, there's a love affair between the Democrats and Islamists, whether it be Sunni Islamists or Shia Islamists in Iran. They love them for some reason. Well, I think maybe part of it, and it's very complicated, but I think maybe a part of it is they buy into the anti-Western Islamist narrative. Definitely. They remove the theological aspect because they're not on board with that. You know, there's no way Ilan Omar, for example, could support the LGBT. LGBTQ policies of Iran, let us say, but they love the anti-Western narrative, which brings with right. it, um, you know, versions, you know, various versions of Marxism, various versions yes. of Baathism, various versions yes. of anti-Americanism that they think when they critique they America in the West, they're right. That's that's, well, that's I think a part yeah. of it too, don't you? That's why when Rush Limbaugh used to read quotes that these Islamic leaders were saying, he'd end like you know Bin Laden would would say something. Yeah. And Rush would go Democrat Tora Bora at the end of yeah of, yeah, you know, yeah yeah it's yeah yeah so true. There is a red green access yeah, right. uh, that we don't understand right. fully, and we ignore that our own peril. Although I will say, in America at least, there is a growing alliance between uh, the Christian conservative crowd, the Jewish conservative crowd, and the Muslim conservative sure. crowd over the LGBTQI plus issue. Yeah. Where yeah. you now see Muslim Americans who were voting overwhelmingly for Democrats starting to flip to Republican because yeah. of the social issues. And so that's an interesting new alliance but over here. But but overseas there is still this obsession with the quasi Marxists of our country and in the West with the Islamists, yeah. all of whom, by the way, want to kill us and they're gonna kill the liberals First and foremost, if they ever had a chance. Well, given their domestic policies, as exactly. I like to point out, uh, let Ilan Omar and Rashida Tlaib try and teach uh, one domestic policy class in the West Bank and see if they <laughs> make it through the day. Uh, it would not happen. Um, not in the towns they like, maybe in the right. towns where there are Jewish settlements. Uh, Brandon right. Riker, let me come back after this quick break with a, just a little bit more about 1979 with you, if you don't mind. It's sure. it's, it's an important, refreshing History. Brandon uh, Weikert is my guest. He can be followed on Twitter at We the Brandon. His most recent book, Biohacked China's Race to Control Life. We'll talk a little bit about that too. Then we'll do some domestic stuff as well. Yes, indeed. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Brandon Weikert is my guest, senior editor at 1945.com. I think I, that is the preferred way for me to say it, so people get the website right. What, is that okay with yeah. you, Brandon? It's 19... 19- yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, people need to know that. It's 1-9, and then you right. spell out the word 45. Right. Yeah. And- yeah. Yeah. So I'll yeah. I'll just I'll just say Despite it that way. the difficulty with the name, the yeah. the, the site is booming. Oh, I mean, it's there, a wonderful there's, site. There's, oh, there's so much yeah. there. I love your stuff. I yeah. love everyone's stuff. Jay, up there. I think what is it? Uh, Ruben is right there uh, as well. Uh, I mean, one of my oldest friends. Michael I like, Ruben. Yeah. I love Michael, and uh, his wife's yeah. pretty dang smart too on issues of oh, Russia. I think they're I think they're wonderful. Yeah, I sent him a nice note not long ago. Please yeah. please tell him I said hi next time you interact. Um, uh, Iran, 1979. Uh, yeah, I think I'm right about this, and it's just interesting how important a year that was given the Iranian Revolution, because while 
obviously there's the Shiite-Sunni divide, which is also obviously much more blended than people think, uh, especially when you look at uh, uniting against uh, mutual enemies. You know, 1979 taught a lot of the Sunnis, I think, what could be done with revolutionary theology. That's yeah. been my thesis for a while. You know, the rise of Al-Qaeda, yeah. you know, they learned a lot. Um, the Brotherhood oh, yeah. learned a lot. The uh, Who was the second in command of Al-Qaeda? The doctor. Uh, the, uh, Ayman al-Zawahiri. Uh, thank you, Ayman al-Hiri. Yeah. They learned a lot from what took place there. And then, you know, well, shortly I mean, after, you had the Sadat incident, and then exactly. you had, of course, a lot of uprisings in Saudi Arabia. There was the yep. takeover of the Grand Mosque. Grand Mosque. Yeah, yeah, the Iranian Revolution sent yeah. a big lesson to the rest of Sunni so, Islam, yes? So, yes, and actually, you know, when I started my website, The Weikert Report, yep. which I don't really write for anymore because I'm too busy. <laughs> if um, you don't write for The Weikert Report, who does? <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. But, uh, you know, by the number one for the last eight years, it was the number one trending article was this long article I wrote on the year 1979, and I talked exactly about this, and in fact in my book, The Shadow War, Mm -hmm. I explained even further there's actual physical connective uh, tissue in the form of social networks between the Iranian revolutionaries and the um, Al-Qaeda types and the Muslim Brotherhood types of the Sunni world. People wouldn't think that because Sunni and Shia Islam don't get along. But I found that uh, the Grand Ayatollah's best friend was a man named Nafab Safavi. Mm. And Safavi was a firebrand in the 1950s and 60s. He took part in the um, 1953 coup. He led against the... Sh- against the um, uh, uh, Mossadegh? Yes, Mossadegh. Uh, he actually worked for the CIA for a period of time. Then he turned on, on the Shah when he thought the Shah was not being purely Islamic. But he was a right-hand man for um, Saeed Qutub, who was the, basically the leading yeah. architect, right. intellectual godfather yeah. of Islamism, and he was Sunni. And um, it was from the Fab Safavi who uh, basically uh, the radicalization process of Khomeini as a young cleric began with the Fab Safavi. Yeah. And when they hanged Safavi in the early 1960s, Khomeini was so irate that that triggered him into radicalism was when the Shah had his best friend hang. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the connective tissue to the Muslim Brotherhood, to the Sunni Islamic fanaticism that we now are still plagued with today in the form of ISIS and al-Qaeda and al-Nusra, that all came from uh, the, 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 the they were connected. Nafab Safavi was a connective tissue to those two worlds, and you're right. 1979 was a seminal moment. It wasn't just the Iran Revolution. It was the mo- it was the year that the Soviets invaded Afghanistan, and then the Mujahideen became the great defenders of Islamic civilization. And that was the same year that the Grand Mosque seizure took place, which was a, an, an inspiration for Al Qaeda. Well, I just want people to understand that, and I, I and that history, and I want them to understand good use of the phrase you're using, connective tissue. And I want people to understand that we just gave six billion. Ameri- uh, we just gave six billion dollars. That's the first time we've done. No, this. it's not. But we just, we just, we just, and and you know, with the report I gave from Amnesty International, um, it didn't mention hostage taking, and yet that is what we keep paying them to do. I mean, and also real quick at 1945.com, my yeah. friend Joseph Humeyer. Yeah. 
uh, who's a Latin America specialist, wonderful guy, ex-Marine, um, he just had a piece published uh, about how Iran's missiles now today can forever now reach mainland United States because of their very close relationship with Venezuela and Cuba. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's another thing to consider. They are branching out, and I talk about that in the Shadow War, too, in a chapter all about with how Iran's moving missiles um, to different points on the globe to put their shorter and medium-range missiles within striking distance of the United States. And the Biden administration is gung-ho about letting this regime get nukes. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, they're gung-ho about everything, and they lie to do so. John Kirby said this is not sanctions relief. Well, it was money freed up. That was sanctioned money. Oh, yeah. Uh, they said the money will be for humanitarian purposes. Um, that's not what Ibrahim uh, Raisi thinks or says, no. and I don't think that they define humanitarian the same no. way we do. So, and, I mean, they're and, lying and the to way, us to unwealth in our, our demise. Ibrahim Raisi is the guy who, in the 70s and 80s, as chief prosecutor, uh, of his city re- rejoiced in routinely on a weekly basis. He would torture pregnant women mm-hmm. and try to get them to miscarry while under his uh, his uh, loving care because he suspected they were communists and unbelievers. And so he would torture these women, pregnant six, eight, nine month, you know, pregnant women, and he would he would torture them to almost to death and would certainly kill their babies. So this is this is the president of Iran. Yeah. Okay. This is the man that Joe Biden thinks is. Great to give yes. billion dollars to. It's yes. insane. And will obtain by uh, demands of making sure the money is used for humanitarian purposes. That's it's just a, it's a. I mean, we uh, should be targeting these people for assassination. Uh, well, Brandon, you know, I, I'm, I want, I don't know why we're not holding immediate within the more re, within the more immediate. I don't know why we're not immediately holding hearings on this kind of behavior. Honestly, misbehavior. There well, should and be. Honestly, I think part of it is there's a new strain on the right, which I think is also okay with doing a deal with Iran, and I think that's just nutty. This is part of that whole neo-isolationist thing you yeah. and I have talked about in the past, yeah. which also affects our ability to protect Taiwan, I suppose. That's correct. Um, which weak. we need to talk about as well. Um, yes. But uh, let's do that on the other side of this break. I heard uh, Vivek Ramaswamy on, on a on a on an interview yesterday talking about well it was this morning he was talking about he would secure taiwan until 2028 Uh, and i just uh, this is just insanity and and he said um and he said until we have uh until we have the technology to make up for any loss of microchip technology and we can straighten out the supply chain really that's what taiwan is all about to you i mean yes it's a hugely important thing but as well, soon he's as we lying can, I, also. He is. He is okay. he's, pl- he's manipulating the, the voters okay. of the Republican Party. He's using them. Okay. You, maybe say something about that on the other side. Yeah. It'll help us transition to domestic as well. Brandon yeah. Weikert is our guest. You can follow him on Twitter at we the Brandon. Never holds back, never pulls a punch. And uh, if you want to know what the news will be months in advance of it actually taking place, read and listen to Brandon. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Brandon Weikert is my guest, senior editor at 1945.com, among other things, author of several important books, including Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. We were just talking about Vivek Ramaswamy's uh, plan to protect Taiwan, about which he's being awfully coy and perhaps a little bit too clever. I will give him credit 
for having at least the most spelled out policy um, and uh, of any of the Republicans running so far as I've heard with regard to Taiwan. It's just that it's not a very good policy. You you say he's not an honest broker, huh, Brandon? No, no, he's he's not even serious about running for president. He's a charlatan, in my opinion. Um, he's clearly trying to build his brand up, and he's doing a very good job of it. But he's not absolutely—he's absolutely unserious as a candidate. Um, he says some good things. He's a smart guy. He's a successful guy. There's no doubt about any of that. But I think he's extremely disingenuous, and I think he's actually mocking in a way the Republican voter uh, by playing on this neo-isolationist strain, trying to have his cake ideologically and eat it too. And the sad thing is how many Trump people are so desperate to give him some kind of credence because they think it distracts and detracts away from Ron DeSantis, who's the only real threat to Donald Trump in the, in the current race. Um, and I just think it's very uh, shifty, and I think it's very – it's just the work of a charlatan. I don't, I don't trust him. I don't particularly like him. And um, I think his comments on Taiwan were so egregiously stupid – that he should probably just get out of the race now and go go back to his podcast. Um, I thought they were stupid. Um, and you know what? I, your column on DeSantis is a serious one, and I want to turn to it in just a moment. But there is something uh, going on. That in, one got uh, me in trouble, by the oh, way. Oh, I, I had told. no doubt. You get in trouble <laughs> about five times a day. It just depends on whether it's before or after you talk to me. <laughs> uh, if it's a Monday or a Tuesday. Um, yeah, I bet it did. I, 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 was, I was thinking it would. But it's also true. And I'm sorry if they don't like the truth, but their campaign is having a hard time, DeSantis yeah. And that's what makes the debate so interesting. I've been talking with the audience about it. I, you know, a lot of weight is being put on, on DeSantis for those debates on October 23rd. Yeah. Because it's the only thing he's got left in his arsenal at this point. And yeah. if, listen, you, you and I may disagree on this. I said if I'm advising, I'm not, but if I were advising Donald Trump, I'd say don't go. Let them all take on DeSantis and, 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 and let him be wounded permanently rather than go and let them all take on you. If he doesn't go, if he doesn't go, DeSantis is going to have a hard time. Oh, I don't know. I think if he doesn't go, that's going to give DeSantis and Vivek and Christie and all the other Keebler elves, it's going to give them a moment to shine. You don't think they're going to want to take on DeSantis and knock him down? They might, but but even in taking on DeSantis, it's going to give them moments to shine. And if there's one thing Trump can't stand, it's other people getting the limelight. And Uh I just don't think, I don't think that Trump, I think Trump should go. I think that him being on stage automatically is going to hurt DeSantis because DeSantis needs breathing room and he needs to be able to get out there and get his message out. I think DeSantis could easily take on the other guys. I think he could take on Trump in a straight-up fight, but we know it's not going to be a straight-up fight. So there's really no downside for Trump. The downside for Trump, though, is one thing. Everything he's been saying about Ron DeSantis, about how awful he is, about how terrible he is, uh, he can't do anything right, well... If that's not true, if that's just campaign talk, then that could be the reason why he doesn't want to go. Because uh-huh. he knows if DeSantis is able to get into a room with, with Trump, DeSantis is going to be able to take on Trump. Well, the, yeah, well, I also think it. Trump has some vulnerabilities himself. It, He's it was, got a lot of vulnerabilities. Yeah, especially like on COVID. Record. Yeah, well. It, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, and not only that, he's, he, not only that, 
He's uh, he's he's uh, soft on uh, soft on China. He yeah. did the deal with China. Yeah. He should never have done the deal with yeah. China. And I didn't know. And I wrote this in the American Spectator when I was writing over there in 2019. I said that it was a huge mistake for him to do that trade mm-hmm. deal uh, with China. He should have never settled. And then, of course, what happened a month later was COVID happened. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, Trump's got a lot of vulnerabilities. Yeah, and I, does. you know, and the problem is, though, is that DeSantis isn't exploiting it. And that's the real issue here, is that DeSantis can't seem to get out of his own way and hit Trump in ways that could really be effective. However, if Trump, you know, and this is why he doesn't want to go, I think, but if Trump really did feel secure in the nomination, he would show up and he'd sort of show the rest of the world how silly all these other candidates are. But in fact, there's only one candidate who's not silly, and that's Ron DeSantis. And I think that if Ron DeSantis could get a clean shot at Trump, uh, you know, it could do a lot of good for DeSantis and do a lot of harm to Trump, which is why Trump isn't going to go. But as you put in your column, something's still not working for DeSantis. Let me pick up on that when we come right back. Brandon Weikert is my guest. He of 1945.com, 1945.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Brandon Weikert has been our guest this hour, is still our guest, W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T. Gosh, I remember when he did his, uh, when Ron DeSantis did his announcement um, on um, Twitter, everyone, and it it failed, everyone said, who's going to care, who will remember? And I said, well, they'll remember if he doesn't pick up steam and sometimes, you know, your first debut can be very meaningfully and it can be very meaningful and be a template for subsequent problems. The subsequent problems, some of which inhere in Ron DeSantis himself, but some of which obviously inhere, uh, Brandon, in a uh, team that uh, isn't ripe for prime time, it seems like. Uh, We've had now several weeks of reset. We've had several layers of firings. Um, you just, you, as you point out uh, in your column on Ron DeSantis, um, something's, something's rotten in that campaign. Some of it is the candidate. Some of it is the staff. Maybe that means all of it it's is the a candidate. a lot of the staff. Yeah. And, and, you know, um, I'm working on a piece right now as a follow-up to sort of outline what DeSantis can do. Yeah. Um, but, honestly, he's now in a position where he's got to perform amazingly at the debate. He has no wiggle room. Yeah. Um, and maybe that works for him because he seems to be a guy that works well under pressure. Um, but the, the the problem is is that he hired a lot of people, you know, and, and you know, I, I was for whatever reason excluded from this process. But he hired a lot of people that should not have been hired. He right. hired an anti semite. You and I have talked about him before. Yep. He hired an, an actual neo Nazi for his speechwriter, Nate Hotchman, who apparently is been fired and he was sharing Nazi imagery as part of the official campaign uh, outreach. He, um, you know, he, he, he hired a lot of duds. Um, and so that's his big issue. So if he can shake up the campaign now and not have any issues going forward, personnel wise, he should be fine. Uh, and then he's got to perform very well in the, uh, the debate. Now, you know, that's a big if though. We don't know how what's going to happen. Um, and you know his his biggest issue though is I will tell you his biggest issue besides the the staff which is a fixable issue and he can still fix it and he is I think but his biggest issue is he should be going on the media every day 
not just friendly media. He should be taking it. Should be an a la carte approach. Anybody wants him to come on, he should go on, no matter how crazy they may seem, no matter how hostile. In fact, the more hostile, the better, because that, especially on the right. So, you know, what I think he should do, and I know it won't happen. I think he should go on Bannon's show. I think he should go right into the lion's den and go right up to Bannon and have an honest discussion and let Bannon attack him, and then he should respond, and he should, it should be a back and forth, because Republican voters in particular love candidates who fight. Yeah. And right now, DeSantis has been avoiding fights like you wouldn't believe. He's employing the Fabian strategy. That doesn't work against a candidate like Trump. You've got to go in for the knockout blow, and he hasn't done it yet. And I don't know if he's saying it for the debate or what, but if Trump doesn't show at the debate, then he's got a big problem. And then he's got a bigger problem because that means he's wasted the last three or four months avoiding a fight, looking like a coward. And so now he's got to he's got to step up. He needs to go onto the PBD podcast like in the next week. It's a Florida-based podcast. They've been asking him for two years to come on. He won't go on. He needs to go on there. He needs to go on the Bannon show if possible. He, Tucker should invite him, and he should go on Tucker's Twitter or X show, whatever. Uh, he should he should be going to every media outlet that's available, and it not, should not only be friendly or boring outlets like CNBC. He should be going into the lion's den. He should be going to CNN, maybe even do MSNBC. Go to Bannon's show if it's at all possible. Go to somebody who doesn't agree with him on the right and go to their show and just knock it out of the park because DeSantis is a fighter. He just hasn't been fighting, and I don't know if it's because he's listening to strategists who are afraid of Trump or if it's just he's a little weary of fighting Trump. But if he doesn't take a shot now, proverbially speaking, at Trump, he's never going to make it. He's never going to last. It's a waste of time and money. I have to tell you, I think that he is at his best when he's in combat mode. Um, well, yeah. it's, it's the reports we're getting is that he's not doing well with his own crowds. Um, and I will tell you one other thing, uh, accepting much of what you said about Vivek Ramaswamy in the last in the last segment. You know, he has been doing that strategy, and I have got to give him a lot of credit. He did about an hour or so with right. Candace Owens and one of Trump's biggest supporters about two days ago, and right. kn- knowing that they had a lot of tough questions for him, and right. agree or disagree with how he handled it. I mean, it was all polite, but, uh, you know, he does a lot of that. And I think I just got to tell you, Brendan, it, same- it gets a lot of credit in my book. It does, but at the same time, they're inviting him on their show because they know he's not a real threat. Now, from what I have heard, and I'm not going to name names, but some of the people I was just talking about refuse to invite him onto their show, uh, whereas Candace Owens is open to having Vivek on because, A, she knows he's not serious, he's building a brand, and, B, he's already been so Mr. Nice Guy to Trump, which is another indicator of how unserious he is as a candidate. So. Uh, you know, but I would love to see DeSantis go on to these kind of right-wing sure. uh, podcasts and shows that are clearly anti-DeSantis and pro-Trump. And I would love to see him stuff it in their face sure. the way that, that, you know, I would just love to see that. And I know he's capable of it. I've seen him do it. I worked with him in Congress. He's not some pushover. He's a very competitive guy, which is one of the things I like about him. But he's not showing that. And I don't know why. I can't figure out what it is that he is so gun-shy to do, but the longer that he waits and the less he's out there fighting, 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 
the, the less likely he is going to survive this thing. And and there is no 2028 now. No, it's no, there isn't. No, two. yeah, you're right. Right. For everyone who this said wait till 28, that's now just totally off the it's table. Over. Totally agree with you about that. Well, Brandon, it was uh, you were worth the wait, uh, and uh, I appreciate you being with us for this hour. Uh, we'll talk to you again. <clears throat> excuse me. Next, uh, we'll shoot for Monday. <laughs> we'll shoot. We'll see if the technology gods uh, allow us to talk on Monday. Bless you, sir, Brandon Weikert. Thank you, sir. You betcha. Uh, Brandon Weikert uh, can be followed on Twitter at we the Brandon, uh, and uh, his last name is spelled W E I C H E R T. Uh, his books are Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, uh, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy, and Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. He's probably got about three more in the offing as well, if I know, Brandon. And uh, I think I gave out all the information I can. I'm Seth. I'll be back with a final thought. You think about the economy, you think about bank failures and stock market volatility, and there's talk of a recession, and you see inflation, and you feel it. Boy, do you feel it. But what if you could invest in a portfolio with a fixed rate of return, a high fixed rate of return, that's not correlated to any of that, not the stock market, not the Federal Reserve? Why Refi has that. They have an investment in a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio from Y-Refi, and Y-Refi is a due diligence-approved firm where you can, as I say, earn up to a 10.25% rate of return, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. They're based here locally, too, and they encourage you to stop by their offices. They're on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I've been there. No one's going to ask you to sign anything. You're not going to get a sales pitch. They leave that up to me. But when you meet with them, you'll see why I like them so much, and you can, too. Check them out at investyrefy.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34, 888-YREFI-34. I just can't get the year 1979 out of my head with so much that transpired and emanated out of the Middle East. It tells you that one bad presidential decision, one bad presidential decision, particularly in foreign policy and national security, can have lasting consequences and reverberations. We are still dealing with the problems of 1979, 40-plus years on, aren't we? And it takes me back to, I mean, we're not only are we dealing with them, yeah, let me connect it this way. My old buddy Christopher Hitchens wrote, At the moment when Iran stood at the threshold of modernity, a black-winged ghoul came flapping back from exile on a French jet and imposed a version of his own dark and heavy uniform on a people too long used to being bullied and ordered around. That beautiful language. Dark language. Beautiful language. And this administration just enwelthened that ghoulishness to the tune of another $6 billion. We talked a little bit about what this administration did with Kabul and Afghanistan, I have a feeling those reverberations are going to be felt for decades to come as well. One bad decision can cause a lot of death and a lot of damage. I just gave you two. We could name a lot more, but we're out of time. David Dahl, for everything today, thank you. 
folks. He's juggling a lot as we're going through a little technology update here. You're doing it great, David. Bill, Mr. Bill, thank you too. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. I'm Seth Leibson, and class is dismissed. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.